Hello, I'm inviting you into this A Gabrielle exclusive. May your heart be inspired by real people, right intentions, and raw emotion. Keep the conversation going by following A.Gabrielle exclusives on Instagram. I am here today being joined by one of my mentors, Julius. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, absolutely. So Julius, have a question for you. Sure. You are about to walk into a room. What is the song that plays while you make your grand entrance? Well, probably I think about a Jim Reeves song, an old song. This world is not my home. Okay. What am I going to find you inside here? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of surprises. Absolutely. <laughs> I think my walk-up song, it changes like week to week. Today, I'm kind of feeling like a little Diana Ross, like I'm coming out, there like the world better watch out. <laughs> so we're going to um, jump into just some conversation. We only have about 30 minutes here. So Julius, tell us, um, what country were you born in and how long did you live there? I was born in Kenya. So Kenya is uh, one of the three East African countries that borders the Indian Ocean. Uh, at the top, we have Somalia, Ethiopia, Uganda. So we're surrounded by all those uh, countries. And I was also born, it was uh, actually an island, Mombasa. And uh, I lived there all my life. I mean, I pretty much just came here when I was an adult. Gotcha. So um, often when we look into um, the media, when we just see pictures and images of different places on the continent of Africa, we often see impoverished um, impoverished communities like animals running wild people living like in mud huts um, unclean water would you say that that's accurate or that's a very skewed view or how would you kind of describe life there I'd like to be fair I think it's both okay. so it all depends on the perspective so the there's all that uh, impo impoverished uh, communities depending on where you're looking at there are all those mud houses, they're still, you know, mud houses still do exist, particularly like uh, in Kenya, they'll, they'll be pretty much in the northern part of Kenya, the eastern part of Kenya, and uh, water, yes, there is scarcity. Right now, I think there was uh, there was flooding, so they, uh, they're depending on the government to provide, you know, food for them, because there is, there is nothing. And again, remember, most of the, uh, most of the communities in Kenya, uh, particularly in the countryside, they are, they move from place to place so they don't have like a permanent a permanent place so yes it's true about animals moving moving around that is also true for example like the capital city of kenya is nairobi and uh, just neighboring the nairobi there is a there is a, a national park so that we've had issues of uh, even lions sometimes you know crossing over or you know going on the highway not very common but it does it does happen so it's uh, it's not exaggerated Okay, well, okay, some validity to what the media is showing. Um, what do you think are some of the things that you've experienced in Kenya that the media may not show? <laughs> interesting, that's a very interesting question. So one of the things that I think the media does not show, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's a fair, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a story that should be told, mm -hmm. is, for example, that in the city center we also have uh, animals, you know, I don't know how you can call this, no, say, say some, something like goats, you've got chicken, so, like when you're driving in some in some estates, you'll be crossing the roads. Oh. Yeah. So, and they are basically given that right to to cross, you know, to cross <laughs> yeah. the road. You never see that in the media. 
No. But when you're there, you actually see that there's actually a lady who had gone to Kenya and she, you know, from SMU and she saw that and that was the first thing she took a picture of, that there's like actually a goat crossing a main road. <laughs> so is that just something, you know, you're walking down the street with the goat, like the goat is mining, the goat's business, you're mining your business? Right, completely. But this is, again, is not in the city center, it's more like in the, in the suburbans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So what was your life like when you lived in Kenya? So um, first, let me say that as an as an accountant, my life was basically more in the business uh, sector. So the where this the locale is more like in the very central business district, um, and it involved a lot of traveling. Um, so I didn't have a lot of experience, you know, beyond beyond that. But it did it did involve a lot of uh, traveling from one city to the other city, you know, doing business and accounting auditing, reporting to boards, and that kind of a thing. Okay, I would say those are those are common things we see here in America, also mm. with accountants. Would you say that the industry and the work that people do there is similar to jobs that we have here in America? Uh, pretty much. The, and again, most of the firms, uh, I remember Kenya is a former British colony, mm -hmm. so a lot of uh, auditing firms are shared with, uh, with Britain, so they would um, uh, Pretty much have the same the same practice. The rules and laws. Uh, there's a lot of similarity between Britain and Kenya. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of you know perspective that you see as opposed to to America. It'll be more of Britain, but yes, that's fairly accurate as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. So speaking about the United States, what was your perception of this country before you came here? So a lot of what we had, uh, personally had known about the United States was uh, what the movies that we used to see. One of our favorite movies as a family was Dallas. Okay. And uh, seeing all these, you know, police cars, you know, written Dallas was like, I would love to see this. So, and uh, also um, seeing like the, you know, the Chicago police, New York and all that kind of things, you know, anything that we saw in the movies were things that we used to be very excited with. So when I came, uh, to uh, to America, my world view was basically that you know whatever we saw on the on the television. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find any of that to be accurate, or what surprised you the most about your actual move here? What surprised me most when I came here was to first of all see the apartments that where we went in. They were you know the roads were not clean. The the walls that surrounded the the apartment were not well kept. The way we'd seen in the movies. We saw that the cars were, you know, ran down. They were not like the cars that we saw on, on the TV. And, uh, you know, I wonder, did we really get to America or we, have we, did we miss America? <laughs> <laughs> so what brought you to America? You know, I think the, the default answer would be the American dream, you okay. know, where you feel that uh, this is the place where uh, your dreams are valid. You can become whatever you, you know, you want to be, including nothing. Uh, there are just plenty of opportunities, and that was the first thing that uh, that I felt. Although really that wasn't the real thing that uh, that brought me here. It was more family uh, family issues. But yes, the I knew that there would be opportunities here as well. Do you think that when you got here, you found opportunities that were better than what you had in Kenya, in terms of like your career and like the way you were able to raise your family? So uh, career-wise, I don't think that they were any different from what I had because, uh, again, being being an accountant, the opportunities were already were already there in Kenya now. Given that by the time I was finishing my CPA, 
we were very few. We were basically under five thousand, you know, in the whole country. Mm -hmm. So there were there's there was no competition, you know. So you basically, you know, you see your CPN, the opportunities, you know, all over. So really, you know, being in Kenya, there were. There, there would have been more opportunities. But again, coming here, it's probably the same opportunities or maybe better opportunities, but in different perspectives, in different industries. Mm. And again, you know, Kenya being what it is, uh, sometimes you get uh, anything foreign or any experience that is foreign is valued very heavily in Kenya. So I was telling myself, maybe I can get this, this experience. And when I go back to Kenya, you know, then it will be a foreign experience. And so it will increase my value or my CPA value as it were. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you moved to Dallas when you first got here, or where did you locate when you first came to the United States? We actually landed uh, in Dallas. Oh, okay. It was our first place, and that's where we've been having moved. And what? How did you find Dallas? Like, was it from the show, or like of all the places that you could have went? Why Dallas? No, actually, I had a friend of mine, and I called him and told him, "Hey, you know, we're coming to the U.S. and." Uh, uh, and he said, oh, you don't want to go anywhere else. You want to go to Dallas because, you know, it's hot. You know, it's just like Kenya. So Kenya is right in the, you know, we have the equator going right across Kenya. So it's pretty hot. So he says, oh, you love the weather here. So once he told me, it's somebody that I've known very well. So I said, okay, then, it, you know, Dallas it is. So we didn't struggle. We didn't think about any other states. And we haven't thought about it either, even now. Do you love the weather here? Love the weather. Love it when it's hot. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you might be in a category by yourself, but that's good like, to know. As a matter of fact, when, it, when, we, when I came, I actually had a lot of short-sleeved shirts because that's what we use in Kenya and, and shorts. And my friends were telling me that, you know, well, you need to buy other clothes like long sleeves <laughs> over the winter. And I, I didn't know what they were saying because as far as I was concerned, it's maybe the winter would be maybe a little bit of rain until I experienced the winter. <laughs> and you quickly went shopping. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so when you moved here, um, you came here with your children. Um, what was it like to begin to raise children in America um, compared to what you were used to about raising your kids in Kenya? What was challenging or re rewarding about that? I think that what I found uh, uh, challenging, first of all, is for the children to fit into the system. Mm. Because it's uh, in Kenya, there would not have been any problem, regardless of where you come from. Once you get into the school system, you'll automatically fit. But they were not able to fit uh, immediately, particularly my son, you know, who struggled a little bit, you know, tried to play football, tried the band, tried, you know, different things. But he had, you know, kind of a problem fitting because one, being an immigrant, he wasn't uh, and couldn't identify where, exactly where he's coming from. It was a bit of a hassle for him, but my daughter kind of slowly eased in. Uh, I think it's easier for girls than it was for, for boys. Do you think that the school system they were in were supportive, like the teachers and the administration? Did you feel like they were supportive of your students matriculating into the system? I honestly think that uh, that was my earliest experience of the, the blackness of an immigrant from Africa Ooh, okay. because it's very distinct. Uh, the fact that you're coming from another continent and you're not an African-American, you're treated differently, even by the community that you that you meet here because that's what my the first challenge that my son actually went through. He just felt that he's not been accepted and he had to overprove himself. Now, every time, because again of his accent, you know, whenever he'd uh, uh, say reported to the teacher on duty you know he wouldn't be taken seriously say oh you'll get over it you know it will it will change you know you just get just get used to this and this is something he wasn't used to you know we we don't we don't have the kind of bullying that uh, he was experiencing here it's it's bullying is everywhere but it's kind of different mm -hmm. so here he's being bullied because of you know who he is and how he speaks and that kind of thing and he's 
what am I supposed to do is something I can't change. So how did you respond to that as a parent? You know, I actually kind of unfortunately took the side of the teachers and told them, you know, uh, read the books, you know, watch the the movies around here. Try to assimilate yourself to the to the culture because yeah, it's not something that's going to get out of it. And then also look at the whatever um, sports or things that you can actually be able to do that will help you assimilate into the into the system and into the culture uh, quickly. You know, don't look, don't get something that's going to hold you back. You know, for a long time. So I, and I was encouraging to either go to music because it was okay with music or go to a sport. And obviously, you know, football was. Uh, it's huge in Kenya, but it's uh, you know it was huge, huge more like in, in, in rugby. So you know when he came here, it's like oh, it's it's not really like rugby. But so he was interested in that, and mm-hmm. that's really what helped him to get into the into the system and and start assimilating to the culture. Did you all speak English when you moved here? Yes, yes, we spoke English, but again we spoke the the Queen's English. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you think that was kind of another barrier for your uh, kids to matriculate into the system? Was like a language barrier? So it was much easier for them, you know, being young, they were, I think, 11 and 12. It was easy for them to, you know, to change into their slang and whatever they, you know, they could speak. So they're easily understood. As opposed to me, I still stuck to my Queen's English. (laughs) (laughs) A little harder to change. (laughs) Right, right. What do you think made it easier for your daughter to kind of catch the American culture and keep it moving? One is, I think, uh, her demeanor. She's a very uh, simple demeanor. And also, she, when she came, she was very clear what she wanted. She actually identified a friend uh, who liked her. You know, she's petite. So they basically just started hanging out together. And this uh, lady lived in the neighborhood. She's African-American. So in the morning, we basically go picking her and dropping, her, dropping them to school. So that kind of helped, yeah. helped her kind of assimilate quickly. And they were both in the choir. So it was easy for her, but for the boy, it was like uh, climbing a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think is different about how you raise your kids and how you look at them now versus how you may have been raised back in Kenya? So that's a very good question. I think the cultures are like day and night. Uh So in in Kenya, the way we bring up the children is, first of all, the schools, most high schools are actually boarding. And if uh, very rarely do you find day, day schools, but they are there now. So they, that means that the kids would be taken to whichever place they are, they are going and uh, they would be released probably after maybe a month or two months or, or during the holidays and they would come and visit or you can go and visit and that kind of a thing. But on uh, watching with them and training them, it's more like a, like a hands-on. You know, we have we have uh, relatives. They have their uncles, they have their aunties, and any of them can actually go and see the children. You know, in mm. school. Uh, so here, the the first thing that we found is uh, the programs are so so intense, and they require the parent to be there regardless of where you are coming from. You know, it just put the burden on the on the parent to show a presence. In, you know, within the school. Now that was not a requirement. You know, in in Kenya, you know, the he can do or, or the kids can do whatever they want to do, whatever programs they want to do, and I'll hear about it at the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here I have to get to know exactly every what is going day. every single day, and you'll get the calls, you get emails, you get all. It was it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, and and uh, at some point I didn't know what what do I need to do? Do I need to let him on his own? Do I need to go do homework with him because it's something that I was not used to? So how did you get used to it, or how did you learn? It was, it was about the American education system, I guess. It was it was difficult. It was difficult, but uh, one of the things that really helped me is visiting with the then the, the I think it was the, the deputy principal of the school, and you know talking to her or talking with her, and she kept on you know 
I didn't necessarily tell her that I'm trying to learn or understand, but I just wanted to like, you know, how can I support my son to be successful? How can I how can I support my daughter to be mm -hmm. successful in the school? But also for the for the children, they also learned that they uh, that schoolwork is taken very seriously. As a matter of fact, one time the one of uh, my daughter's teacher called home, and he was calling to say that you know that my daughter had not submitted a certain assignment and uh, it needed to be graded and you're saying you know please call me so we can talk about how we can be able to help her and so you know it was a voicemail and so i let my daughter listen to that and she was shocked they call home <laughs> and that was like it changed her life completely because she's the kind of a person that they want to get into any trouble and that she actually ended up being nominated for a presidential award in whatever it was you know it was it was very interesting it basically changed her and uh, that kind of solved my problem on one side <laughs> <laughs> so i think from what you said a little bit earlier that um kind of in kenya it was more of a communal society um children are for the most part like almost being raised by a village for mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase um, and then coming here to the United States, how did you find community or did you have family here? Or what was that uh, village building process like for you here? So yes, we, we do have family, but again, they were also in the same stage that we were, we were at. They also had their own kids. And basically we found ourselves just so uh, intensely involved with caring for these kids, you know, and their school that we had no time to even meet and share notes and see what is going on. So basically what I realized is that uh, if my experience, and maybe not accurate, but my experience is that in America, the families are basically units on their own. But in Kenya, the, the family kind of like uh, stretches to yeah. grandmother, mother, father, everybody, you know, so if I have, uh, if I need my son to do something and I'm not there, you know, any, any one of the family members can, you know, can uh, take charge of my family and that's fine. Mm, yes, I don't think that's the case here in the United <laughs> no, States. No, no, it isn't. It isn't. It's, it's difficult, you know, because everybody is busy. You know, you've got your, you know, your own family to take care of. There, are, there is work that you need to do. You're coming late. You've got a different shift. So these are, these, that's the other thing about shifts. So in Kenya, the, we just work from 8 to 5. Mm -hmm. And we don't work on weekends. No one? No. For the most part. This is except, like family time. Is family time the weekends? Uh, well, Yes, but there are those people who have businesses, so they'll still open businesses. But mm -hmm. for those, like the government doesn't function on over, over the weekends, large corporations don't open over the, over the weekends. So just work from Monday to Fridays. That's, I mean, that's the ideal lifestyle that yeah. we're all looking for, right? You know, well, but maybe economically, that's why we're not doing so well. We probably do better if we operated a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So along those lines, I guess, um, you have some kind of expectations of moving to the United States, and you mentioned the American dream. When you moved here, do you think, and now that you've lived here for a while, do you think your expectations met reality? Uh, it did, but it's hard work because one of the things I also realized is that it's easier, it's it's harder to um, to change your qualifications or whatever your your experiences in Kenya to the American you know culture or the American expectation, and that was my my first hurdle. So I knew it was not something that was going to happen quickly, mm -hmm. but it was. Uh, uh, and so I was intentional in whatever I was doing. So I wasn't in a rush to, you know, to go into the to the big jobs or to, you know, whatever I felt that I could because first of all, the currency was even a challenge for me. You know, there were dimes, nickels. I'm what are these things? You know, I had to I, yeah. I would spread them on the desk and start, you know, calling them by names, you know, because I had no idea what they were, you know. So that was the very basic. I mean, as an accountant, I need to understand the currency first. That's a good story. Yeah. And yeah. it took me a, a long time, you know, I, I worked in a, in an industry for almost three years. 
And I felt that that was more like my induction stage. And I'm very glad and I feel privileged that I worked there. Good. Yeah. Would you say that um, your kids, like, they had similar experiences, like, coming here to the United States in terms of, one, like, their desire to move, and then, like, I guess their eagerness to kind of also pursue the American dream? I think their conflict was in the beginning that they didn't want to come. Mm-hmm. You know, they felt that uh, we kind of had a pattern and said, you know, uh, we'll just stay here and do our things. But then some things, some family concerns made me made us make make that uh, decision that yes, we need to we need to go. So in the beginning, the first the first year was really hard. You know, it was something they struggled with because they kind of lived and were living with Kenya in their minds. Mm-hmm. But after the first year, when they realized we are not going anywhere, we are here <laughs> to stay. To yeah, they started now changing and. And uh, adapting to the to the system and the culture, they they adapted pretty quickly, and I think it was much much easier for them, you know, in the adaptation stages than than for us, you know, older guys. How has living here in the United States impacted you and your family's like identity as Kenyans? You know, when when <laughs> when I came here or when we came here, the, the there was a community, there was a Kenyan community. And uh, granted, you know, sometimes you want to know how people are doing, but again, the the American culture uh, does not. Um, it it you you basically just have to be to be focused on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though we are Kenyans and living in America, we have to live like the way the Americans you know live. So basically, we had to focus on self uh, and your family and whatever it is that you're doing. Otherwise, it was it's not it's not possible for you to live um, more like. Uh, you know, laid back kind of a life that we live in Kenya because it's a very relaxed kind of life. But here, it's basically fast paced, and you've got to watch your family, you've got to do what you're doing there. There are bills to be paid, there are things to be done. So in Kenya, it's it's kind of different. So here, I find that because of the uh, fast paced kind of life, um, even though we are Kenyans, you don't get to do as much, except you know maybe over the weekends when there's an event, you you know we all show up and get to know what's going on around. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Do you all go back and visit Kenya often? Uh, well, so the tickets are not cheap, but uh, whenever, whenever whenever we can, you know, we we do uh, we try to go every other year. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite memory of living in Kenya? Oh, like uh, Sunday evenings after church. You know, we every time after church we'd go have lunch and then we'd go to the beach, and we'd spend like the whole evening up to around six or seven o'clock. When you go home, the kids would just shower and go to bed. Is this like a beach like we think like here in the United States or is it different or? Uh, it's pretty much the same, you know, okay. so the, the beaches are, most of the, the beach area is covered by a hotel, so you'd have to go to the hotel, you know, for your meals, but then the, it's, the beach is open, you know, so usually they are clean, they are, they are clean and there are other kids who are there yeah. and the kids love, they just love being in the beach, so that's something I really miss. No, that sounds very convenient and like a very chill, good, just relaxing Sunday evening. It really is, it really is. What would be um, your greatest hurdle, you would say, that you've had to jump since coming to the United States? Um, I'm one person who is very positive. Mm-hmm. So in every um, every time I have to, something seems hard, you know, I always try to get a simpler way of getting it done. So I honestly can't say that there is any hurdle that I can say uh, kind of stands out. But um, some of the things was my very first job, well, not really a first job, I think it was more of a second job. I worked, I worked as a consultant and it did quite a lot of traveling. Mm. And it was it was too intensive. I, I traveled before, but this one was more intensive because every I had to travel um, every week and I used to work for 10 hours every day. 
you know, so I can have at least a three-day weekend, and then yeah. on, on Monday morning I would have to travel again, and I did that for about a year and a half, and it was it was exhausting. It was uh, it was not motivating anymore. I mean, there was no fun in flying. I mean, I would get to the plane, and the first thing I want to do is close my eyes and sleep. You know, so maybe that was the biggest challenge. You know, but the problem was, you know, you don't even have the time to even look for a job because by the time you're resting, you're so tired. The kids are there; they want attention. You know, and then before you know it, it's already Monday to go back to work. Yeah. So it was it was. It was that that's the only thing I can think was very difficult. But for the most part, I think, you know, the attitude, the way I looked at it, that is like something that has I have to experience is to be able to move on to the next stage in my life. No, mindset is super yeah. important. Yeah. Um, and I think being able to have a mindset that evolves is the only way that you can grow and get to something better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that you have experienced like you personally? I know we talked a little bit about your kids, but you personally, any um, kind of absolute or very obvious uh, encounters with racism since you've been here in the United States, whether it's because you're an immigrant or um, because you're black? So that's that's a very good and important question. I think one of the problems that I, I, I keep encountering is that this blackness keeps getting into my way. Yeah. One of the worst experience was going to a church and there was beautiful music that is going on. I was a little late. Um, I think my family had either gone to one for one for the early service or something, but they were not with me. I was alone. So and when I went, you know, you know, everybody's lifting their hands, enjoying the music and that kind of thing. So I went to the, the nearest place I could find, you know, a seat. And uh, this lady, um, you know, kind of looked at me, but I, I didn't pay attention because I was I was paying attention to the music and yeah. I wanted to kind of like, you know, hook up as quickly. But uh, when the music ended and, you know, we sat down, this lady, a little older lady and with, with her husband, they picked up the, the handbag and moved to the very end of the of the pew, you know, and, you know, all the time looking at me, you know, and I was wondering, what did I do? You know, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't even talk to anybody. I'd just gone and sat there, but I guess I was too dark skinned, you know, for them. And it made me feel, feel, you know, bad. But uh, on second thought, I told myself, you know what, it's not my problem. Is if yeah. you don't want to sit next to me, I don't want to sit next to you either. <laughs> yeah. So um, in my and then you know in my heart I was saying maybe she thought I was going to steal her bag and that kind of a thing or um, it's it made a lot of you know me have a lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, thoughts you know racing through my mind. But that's the only thing I can think about. But other than that, I've had other other uh, situations uh, in SMU also. I've had situations where uh, a professor will treat you different because you're you know you're different and you speak different. But I tell myself, you know, I'm so liberated that I accept everybody. So if there are people who are still struggling with the race, there are people who are struggling with people, whether you're from Africa or whether because you're black or because you have a different accent, it's a problem that you have and you need to deal with it. And that's not me. No, that's, um, that's really good. Would you say that, so it sounds like a lot of um, kind of how you overcome these challenges is like a mental thing and like what you tell yourself and kind of like the affirmations and encourage self-encouragement. Would you say that there are any other things that you do to process or cope through just the challenges of being black in America? Because I think those are things that we sometimes get faulted for, but there are also things that we just can't change. So how do you kind of navigate overcoming uh, the struggles of racism in this country? I think it's difficult. So one of the things that I came to reconcile with myself is that uh, coming from Africa and uh, having been uh, the, and, and from a country that was uh, dominated by the whites from Britain is not the same as uh, being an African-American 
you know, and being brought here against your will mm -hmm. for over seven, uh, 400 years. So I, I see those are two different, you know, parallel uh, realities. But uh, besides that, I think for, for, for me, I, you know, when I was growing up, the, the colonizers have already, had already left the country. So there were just a minority of them that were still left, left there. But that's, and that's the reality that is not the same here in America, right. you know, where you feel the colonizers or the people who the oppressors are still with you. Yeah, and were still, yes, and were still, they took away the names and gave you exchanged with their names and you don't know so what name do I call myself you mm -hmm. know so that's one thing that I really empathize and I wonder whether it is uh, whether that wrong can ever be made right ever but it's something that uh, in my mind I, I think that we as, as a community need to think of how do we progress from here and I think that one of the things uh, what for example in Kenya is basically getting the mindset that I need to improve myself from where I am I need to be in a competitive uh, market. I need to be in a competitive industry. Where I'm thinking for me, and if I think for me, and my neighbor thinks for themselves, and my the other neighbor for for themselves, then we become a com kind of a formidable force. Where we are not, we are looking at ourselves as a, as an economic force, so that we cannot be stopped because of the way we speak or because of the the way we look. We've got the qualifications, we've got the degrees, we've got the skill sets, we've got the understanding of the industries. Whether if they don't employ us, the next organization is going to employ us. I think that is what I would, I would encourage the, I would look at maybe more as a weapon to to fight. Because you know what, sometimes if the army is too big, is too large against you, uh, the best way is to start looking at what else you can do differently. Yeah, a different tactic to um, combat the same issue. Right. So I think that one thing we have seen a lot here in the media recently, it's not a new thing, we've just seen it more publicized, is the killing of young black men by police enforcement. So are there ever conversations that you have with your son about um, interactions with law enforcement or how he behaves or how he should behave in these situations simply to maintain his life? I have. I, you know, it, it worries me, it scares me, and I get very emotional when I think about that. I've, I've watched a lot of videos of... Uh, you know, black men being victimized, not because of a crime they've done, but because of the, the color of their skin. The one thing they can't change. Right, the one thing that they cannot change. And, and I feel it's, it's wrong, and I know the societies that have said it's wrong, the ch church has said it's wrong, but still it continues, you know, being there. So I had to have a conversation with my son and tell him, look, this is the reality, this is what is going on. You'll be stopped because you're black. Yeah, you'll be stopped because you didn't do something and you can't argue with it powers that be because if you start arguing it's it may just escalate into into something else and granted he's uh, he's had his own experiences he's been stopped but uh, I told him the, f the first thing that you need to do is uh, listen you know and listen with your eyes and listen with your ears you know so that you don't you don't say anything that is going to uh, kind of like uh, mess up the whole situation mm -hmm. or, or, may, or make the other the, 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 the officer misunderstand the situation try to Try to be the person who is rethinking right. Yeah. yeah. And that has helped him uh, a lot. So fortunately, he's not had in, uh, gone into any issues that uh, we can say that was escalated necessarily. But yes, he's had his, his challenges as well. Have any of like the media stories of these killings circulated back to like your community in Kenya where you all have had to have conversations about like maybe they're concerned about your safety? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have... Uh, I have nephews and nieces who, who come and say, you know, are you are you safe there? Mm -hmm. Now it's granted, you know, Kenya is not safe, but they think that it's it's we are more unsafe here, and you're more unsafe from the the authorities 
than from the you know people who are basically want to just come and rob and that mm -hmm. kind of a thing. So they think that we are we are actually very unsafe. And so we try to to tell them it's not that 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 bad. I say, but oh, but we see it in the in the paper. We see it in the it's it's being reported in the in the news and that kind of a thing. Say so, you know they are. Kind of like isolated cases because you don't want them to you know to panic but sometimes i do think that they are getting close home you know some of the yeah. issues that you know the things that you hear is like this is just in the neighborhood what's what's happening should we move should we what do we need to do do we sell the car and buy another one or it's 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 frustrating mm -hmm. yes it's frustrating what advice would you give to another immigrant family or another family moving from kenya who's going to come to the United States to settle? The first thing I'll tell them is uh, be intentional with what you're coming to do. Mm. Be very intentional. So if you're coming to school, come and enroll yourself to a school. The second thing is also being uh, staying together with the community because one of the things that the community does is that it kind of helps you uh, put things in perspective. Granted, you know, people may have had things uh, differently or or there are certain things that you need to do, for example, for admission in school. So once you get to the community, they'll be able to. There are groups of uh, of leaders will be able to help you know what you what you need to do. Now, at the end of the day, it also just depends on that individual whether you want to do it or whether you want to follow that that uh, protocol or whether you want to come and do things things your own way. So at the end of the day, it's it's just an opportunity that you know I'd want to encourage people. Hey, don't come and be uh, on your own. Come and plug yourself to to your community, whether you're from Kenya or from whichever country you come from. There, there are communities. There those, whether the churches or whatever. They plug plug to those families, and they'll help you at least land, have a soft landing. That's good. Um, okay. Final question. Final thought. If you had to offer a challenge to our listeners today, um, whether it's about their perspective on immigrants, their perspective about Black people in America, their worldview, um, what challenge would you offer to them? So one of the things I think um, that stands out very strongly with me is through a church that I attended, and this is Grace United Methodist Church in downtown Dallas. Okay. And it has a very, very beautiful you know, glasses that are tainted and you know, kind of makes a beautiful mosaic. And to me, the first message that I got from that mosaic uh, presentation on the walls was the fact that each one of us, whether you're African-American, whether you're African from Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, or, from, or, or white from, from Ukraine, from Russia, from wherever you come from, we are all different. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of being human is that we bring our mosaic nature together. So when, when you see yourself as a piece, that brings completes that picture of beauty, then you matter to me. So, and uh, if regardless of your color, regardless of your gender, regardless of wherever you're coming from, your height, you complete me as a person. You complete my 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 hum humanness. So when I see you, I appreciate. So I think the the, the picture that I that I always see is that mosaic, and say that as my humanity, my humanness mm. is completed by the other person. And that also helps me kill up, kill anything, any bad feeling I may have about somebody, or, or if I had a different lens of looking at somebody, it's overshadowed by that yeah. that picture of uh, seeing that, you know, they complete me to see my, uh, the humanity differently. Oh, that is a perfect note to end on. So there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Julius. Sure, thank you much. Thanks for tuning in while the conversation was flowing. Follow A.Gabrielle Exclusives on Instagram and the conversation can keep going. 
I post once a week. Make sure you subscribe so you can stay up and catch this weekly vibe. Let's go.